Great job, good songs. It's a joy to sing with you, and I trust that um, as you sing those songs and you think about our Father in heaven and how good He is to us, that it's the overflow of your heart. And I'm looking forward to opening up God's Word with you today. Got a few things I want to just highlight as kind of announcements and thanks, James, things you can be praying about. Um, First of all, I want to share a a, a few things that I would ask you to be praying for. Um, I'm going to need your help here, you guys, because I don't have any control up here. So Um, I see Aaron and Heather Moore back here. Be praying for their son, Will. Uh, He had a pretty nasty accident this week and had a pretty nasty um, foot injury. So be praying for him. I encourage you to talk to Aaron and Heather, how you can be an encouragement to them and let them know that you're praying for them. They need it. Uh, Will needs it. And so be praying for, for them. Um, and then there's an individual who passed this week, and, and a lot of you may not even know him, um, but you have been the recipient of some of his ministry. Some of you may know Calvin and Chris Greenfield, and uh, Calvin's grandfather, Calvin Grove, passed this week. He is with the Lord Jesus today. And um, you may or may not know that individual. Let me give you a little hint for some of you that, that have been around the community for a while. He's the guy that always had the bubble gum if that helps some of you, okay? Um, Let me tell you how the Lord used that man in my life. He's with Jesus today. Lived on this earth for over 80 years. And um, when when I was just in my 20s, I wasn't a pastor. I was just a person trying to seek after the Lord. He called me. He said, hello. I'm not kidding. It's kind of a weird story. Hello. I've got a hundred dozen of eggs. I'll pick you up in 15 minutes. Let's go pass them out. And so he'd come to my house, and he'd have, a, he'd have his little red truck filled with, you know, deer hides and antlers and old tools and a hundred dozen of eggs. And we would drive into these very poor neighborhoods and, and pull into the parking lot and pass out dozens of eggs. He called me a couple weeks later and said, I've got a hundred loaves of bread. I remember this one in particular. I don't know if it was a hundred or not, but he pulled up in his truck. And in the back of his truck, it's filled with loaves of bread, like cordwood, just thrown in there. And we drive into these communities and just pass out bread and tell people about Jesus. He's with the Lord today. Faithful man. And um, he would tell you he's a sinner because he was, but he was a man changed by the grace of God. I was with him on Monday this week. And you know, he's laying there, filled up with cancer, getting ready to die. I haven't spoken to him in probably five or six years. It's been a while. I walked into his living room, and the very first thing he said to me, how's Nancy? How's the kids? I'm shocked to even remember. How, how does he remember us? Why does he care? He's dying. Listen, the the evidence of grace in a person's life is powerful. It's powerful. And are you going to be the next Calvin Grove that tells little children about Jesus, that follows after Christ and then we follow after him, who invests his life in the kingdom? Hmm. I want to be. I want to be a faithful man, and I hope that you want to be a faithful man. We're a faithful woman today. Lots of things on my heart this morning. I, I've got too much message for the time that's allotted, so we've got we to get driving forward. But we can't, we can't miss these moments to think about what really matters. Whether it's a, a horrible injury that comes into your life, 
or the passing of a great servant of Christ. We're reminded that we don't live for the here and now. We're investing in eternity, in things that matter, in things that are eternal, that things that will always last, in the people. And that's the grace of God in our lives. Let's pray that God would open up our hearts today. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your work in our lives, Lord. I ask you now to give our, our hearts a sense of what you want for us to hear today, Lord, that you would speak to us and that we would listen and we'd respond. And today that we'd be warned. You're warning us in Scripture today. I pray we'd take it serious and respond appropriately. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got a warning for you today, so I want to say beware. That's what Jesus says. He says, beware. Somebody might have heard of Susie Torres. She made the news this week because she, li- she lives in Missouri. Okay, you may not know her personally, but you might have seen her picture in the news. She had this sound in her ear. She said it felt like she had water in her ear, okay? And it was just bothering her for a couple days. Tried the old alcohol treatment, you know, the, the, the hitting of the head, you know, try to get this water to come out. And finally, it was just driving her nuts so much that she went to the ER. And the, the, the ER doctor gets out that flashlight and probably puts that little thing on his eye maybe and, and looks down in her ear. And you know what's down the deep in the cavities of her ear? A brown recluse spider. And so he took those forceps or whatever and put it down inside of her ear and pulled that spider out of the deep canal of her ear. Oh, man, I tell you what. Now, that seems kind of scary to me, all right? You're mixing two things I don't like. I don't like spiders. I don't like anything touching my ears. And so those two things together, yikes. What are you afraid of? I mean, seriously, what are you afraid of? You know, there's a lot of, yeah, you got spiders and snakes and birds and bats and dogs and heights and flying and water and needles and close-in spaces. We all have these kind of irrational fears that chase us around. There's a snake on your porch. Ah, a grown man will just sort of cower in fear. That grown man would be named Lowell, okay? They say the greatest fear of people is public speaking. It's interesting. We're afraid of public speaking, afraid of public embarrassment, public failure. Oh, that kind of stuff scares us. We have a fear of being manipulated, being abandoned, being abused. Today, though, I want to talk about man's greatest nightmare. The, the, the thing that we should fear among anything else, greater than anything else. Jesus referenced fear and warned us about things. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. I'll just read briefly from verse number 28 of chapter 10. Then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, such as snakes and spiders and heights and those kind of things. We don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God is what Jesus is saying. Fear God. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is going to reference fear, and I want us to study it today. I want us to see what what it is that Jesus is warning us against. And I'm telling you, this is the greatest nightmare that we should have. Here it is. 
And why this is not the greatest fear, I don't really quite understand. So we'll first read in Matthew chapter 7, then we'll jump around the Bible a little bit. Let me just read for you. Follow along with me in Matthew chapter 7, and, and look with me at verse number 15. And let's see what it is that we're going to be warned about to fear. Matthew 7, verse number 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets. This is our greatest nightmare. A false prophet is our greatest nightmare. Beware of a false prophet who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this is a fearful passage. It truly is. This should conjure up real fear, not irrational fear of a tiny spider that you can just smash with your foot. No, a real fear, a fear of a false prophet, a fear of a Christless eternity. This is our passage for today. You know that we're working through the gospel of Matthew It's not by an accident that we're here today and you happen to be here. It's God's sovereign plan. He wanted you to hear his word today relative to false teachers and false followers. Now, you know, we've been in in the Sermon on the Mount just, just to catch us up a little bit. We've been, we've been looking at Jesus teaching here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We've seen what Jesus is doing. He's pulling back the scales off of the eyes of those that hear him. He's chipping away the religious scales that have covered over the character of God. And now he's revealing, as he pulls back, he allows us to see the character of God in all of his perfection, in all of his holiness. We see that God is holy, But more than that, we see that we are not. And so we said we see God's holiness and then man's brokenness. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Jesus also has been opening up the the curtain to see the grace of God. That God wants that great gulf between us, between His holiness and our brokenness, He wants it fixed, repaired, redeemed. And so he offers us grace. And part of that offering is that he conforms us to the image of Christ. 
That's been his message. And now what has happened in our study of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Jesus has ended his sermon. His sermon has ended at this point, quite honestly. He's wrapped up his sermon. He's now moved to application. And what he's saying in verse number 13, Matthew 7, verse number 13, is now you go and take this message to the world. Enter the narrow gate. There's a narrow gate. There's a broad road that leads to destruction, but there's a narrow gate that's hard. Tell people about it. Tell people about him. Walk with them on that road. Because the road is broad and easy that leads to destruction. So really what Jesus is calling us to here is transitioning now from seeing ourselves to seeing others. And so he says in verse number 12, whatever you wish, whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do to them. Now you wish that others would tell you about Jesus. Whether you're in Christ or not, you wish that others would tell you about him. If you're saved today, you wish today somebody would have found you prior to that moment when you did get saved. Maybe you got saved at 13 or, or 23 or 33 or 43. My, you wish someone would have found you before that moment. See, this is our, our new redeemed character. And so Jesus says, what you wish others do to you, you do to them. So now what we transition to is a series of binary choices. We as people don't like binary choices. Binary means two. We don't like that there's one or the other. We don't like that as people because it forces us to make a decision. But when you look at this passage, it is filled with just binary options, two options. In verse number 13, you've got two gates or two paths. That's all you got, and you got to choose. There's, there's one or the other, so there's two roads. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. In verse number 15, we've got two prophets. One preaches truth, the other preaches lie. You've got to choose which you're going to hear. In verse number 21, we've got two followers. One's a real follower, one's a false follower. You have to choose which you're going to be. And in verse number 24, we've got two foundations we got one foundation that's rock and one that's sand. We have to choose on which we will build. A series of, we, we now stand at a moment of decision. We all do. In Jesus' sermon here, he's now come to a place of decision. You must choose. And there's only two options. You either choose Christ or you reject Christ. You may say, well, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. Listen, a wait is a rejection of Christ. It is. You either choose him, or you deny him. There is no third option. It's binary. Jesus understands that. And so does the great accuser of the brethren. 
that serpent of old, Satan, the devil, that, that roaring lion who prowls around the earth, seeking those he can devour, the enemy of God and the enemy of man. He has motivated and used people to speak lies and send people down a broad road to destruction. And this is what God wants to talk about today. Beware of the false prophet. We want to look today at false shepherds and false followers. In verse number 15, Jesus says, beware. Beware. This is a strong warning. It's used six times in the Gospel of Matthew. And every single time, it's not beware of spiders or beware of snakes or beware of heights. It's beware of false teaching. This is man's greatest nightmare. If you believe in eternity, if you believe in the gospel, if you really are a follower of Christ, I ask you, what could be worse than a false teacher? If you really believe in the eternal future of man, that there is only one road to Christ and all others are false, if you really believe that at your gut level, if that really is the truth of your heart, what could be worse than a false shepherd? Nothing. Nothing could be worse. And this is what Jesus warns us about. A false prophet, it says in verse 15, you know this Greek word. It's literally pseudo-prophet. That's the word in Greek. Pseudo-prophet. Fake prophet. Now this is not a, a new warning. I want to kind of overwhelm you right now with, some, with, with several passages from your New Testament that warn us about this idea of a false teacher. I'll throw these up on the screen quickly for you just so you can see them. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, Jesus warns of many false prophets that as, as time moves forward, they're going to increase and lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. Then as you walk through, what I'm going to show you on the screen is a chronological development of this warning of false teachers. Okay? I don't have every reference. But very early in the New Testament record was the book of Galatians. And Paul wrote that in Galatians 1, verse number 9. He warned that there would be some who come preaching a false gospel. And Paul says that he would have them to be accursed. That means that they would go to hell. A false gospel preacher, Paul says, they should just be damned to hell. Move along in the progress of Revelation, we get to Acts chapter 20. Verses 29 and 31, Paul now warns the church that wolves would come inside of the church. So the wolves are sitting among us. Now, I don't think that Paul here is talking about any particular local church. So I'm not accusing anyone here of being a wolf. But he says, within the church... 
false teachers will rise up. They will come underneath the label of Christianity. And they will be false. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 18, Paul warns about these people that they don't serve Christ. They serve their own appetites. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15 says that they will be disguised as angels of light. I mean, if they had a big warning on them, you know, notice, false teacher, we would run away. But they look like, and they act like, and they say many of the things that a true teacher of God's word would say. Quickly, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, that not only is this going to happen, but as we grow near the end of, of sort of time as we know it, it will increase, these false teachers. 2 Peter chapter 2 says something very interesting about these false teachers. It says that they, they're filled, they follow sensuality, and they're marked by greed. Why is it that so often we hear about this televangelist or this pastor who falls into greed and the pursuit of money and sexual sin? False teaching, we are told in Scripture, comes with these things along with it. A greed for personal gain and a hunger for sensuality. I want your body. I want your money. This is what they are covering. This is what they are covering. Jude 4, again, speaks to the sensuality that is often there. And then finally, just for now, Revelation chapter 2. Here, Jesus, through the Apostle John, is, is declaring, he's, he's, he's speaking of this church in Ephesus, that they have, they have tried to seek those who are speaking and teaching truth. It is a, Jesus is warning us, scriptures reveal for us, church history shows us, our very experience now demonstrates to us that false teachers abound. So let's heed the warning. All right, go back to Matthew chapter 7. If you turned away from there, let's look at it, all right? The first thing I want us to see here is that man's worst nightmare is false shepherds. False shepherds. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now you might say, well, why'd you call them a shepherd, Lowell? It says here, prophet. Okay, and Jesus, when Jesus is revealing this, the, the, the primary voice of God would be called a prophet. This is prior to the birth of the church. The church is born in Acts chapter 2. And shortly after that, God raises up another office, that of pastor-teacher. We often call it a shepherd. But Jesus says here that there are false prophets, and they come in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? Sheep's clothing. The other day I rode by a flock of sheep, and you know what I noticed? They were all naked. 
They didn't have any clothes on. What is this sheep's clothing? Literally, this is, literally, this says clothing of sheep. It's not sheep's clothing, mean the clothing that sheep's or sheep wear. It's clothing made of the result of sheep. It's clothing made of wool. Who wore this? Shepherds. Shepherds. We're being warned here about false shepherds. People who have been given the call of God to care for the body of Christ. These false teachers aren't sheep. They're shepherds. They're leaders. They're pastors. They're teachers. They're small group leaders. They're disciple makers. They're friends of yours who speak of Christ. And we're being warned of what Satan does. He brings into the church false teachers. We must be warned of this. We must know what to look for. And we must know how to handle them. I mean, let's just be brutally honest. In 21st century America, church work has become a profitable business. It has. Across America, there are many, many spiritual leaders. There are many, many teachers within churches. There are many people who are supposed to be spiritual leaders who are doing quite well and have a mass of followers behind them. Amazon will reveal for you that there are just scores, hundreds and thousands of books being put out all the time. We have to be discerning. You and I, we must be discerning. We cannot invite false prophets, false shepherds, false spiritual leaders into our lives. There is danger here. Eternal things are in the balance. For, for you and I, for those that follow us, our children, our grandchildren, our, our Sunday school class, our small group, our, our, our focus group, if God has placed you in a position where you have anybody following behind you, and trust me, you do. You and I must be very wary of who it is that we are listening to. Now, what's interesting about this, the Bible speaks about three different kind of false teachers, okay? Three different sort of groups of false teachers. And we need to know which one this one is. First of all, the Bible speaks of heretics. These are people that just, that they deny the truth of of the divinity of Christ, of the grace of God, of, of, of Christian doctrine. I've had heretics come to my door. Hi, may I introduce you to, and they tell me a name. They're a heretic. They, they, they aren't hiding within the church. They're bringing, they're bringing false doctrine to my door. That's a heretic. The Bible also speaks of apostates. No, apostate is one who was here with us for a while 
and now they've abandoned the gospel. I honestly have very close friends who have become apostate. And they were once a teacher of God's word. And they now deny the very existence of God. That's apostasy. But that's not what Jesus is speaking of here. He's speaking of a deceiver. A deceiver. This word for ravenous, the ravenous wolves, the the wolves that are ravenous, you think of a wolf tearing apart a sheep, and that is correct. But this word is also translated as a swindler. The Greek word could have two meanings, ravenous and a swindler. What's a swindler do? They cheat and they lie. You see what we have here? We have one who's coming and purposefully deceiving the church. They're unknown to the sheep. If you just just looked at them, they, they look and they sound and they act like a shepherd. But they're unknown to the sheep naturally. So Jesus helps us in verse number 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good or bad fruit, that is, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. They can lie with their message, these false teachers, these false shepherds. They can lie with their message, but their life reveals the truth. Luke helps us in a parallel account. Luke, as you recall, there's, there's many times where Luke has given us the parallel of, of this passage. And Luke chapter 6, verse 30, 43 and 44 will help. Let me read to you Luke 6, 43 to 44, that, that maybe we can understand what we are to look for. Luke says, for no good tree bears good fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. This should be familiar. Sounds just like Matthew. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from the thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from a bramble bush. Now listen to this. Listen to the difference, and let's hear what we are to look for. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. Listen. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What does this tell us? The fruit that we look for, the fruit that is to be observed to recognize a false teacher comes out of the mouth. It's out of the mouth that's personal, that's close, that's intimate, that's real life. You want to know how to recognize a false teacher? You look at his life, not his teaching, not his following, not the crowd before him. See, we're impressed by crowds, and we're impressed by by huge amounts of cash, and we're we're impressed by those kinds of things, These, these measurable outcomes. Oh, look at what they're doing. Oh, look at what he's done. Oh, look at what they've what they've gathered. Look at what they built. And we say, Oh, this must be truth. But Jesus is saying, 
No, 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 no. What does his mouth reveal? Look at his relationship with his wife. Look at his relationship with his children. Look at his business dealings. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 3. A shepherd is to be the husband of one wife. Not prone to be a striker or argumentative, but to be gentle in how he speaks. See, this is the intimate life. This is inside the bedroom type activity. This is in the four walls of a home. That's where we look. The truth is, we could bring false teachers up here. They're not going to stand here and say, oh, the the cross doesn't count. Jesus isn't God. That's not what they're going to declare. No. They say things that sound okay. But their life reveals that it's a bad tree. A shepherd's fruit... And by shepherd, understand, I mean any spiritual leader. I am talking about pastors. I'm talking about deacons. I'm talking about Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about Awana leaders. I'm talking about fathers who are teaching their children. I'm talking about you making disciples. A shepherd's fruit should look like the good shepherd's life. That's the reality. And listen, it's hard, I know. I told a friend of mine, I got a tough message today for me, for me, but it's God's word. I ask you, whether you're from this church or another, are you close enough to whoever is shepherding you? Be it a pastor, a small group leader, a focus group teacher, a youth group leader, are you close enough that you can see fruit. The fruit of the life should reveal the shepherd's presence. Now, what will these individuals teach? I think we probably should talk about that briefly, okay? What, what, will, they, what will they teach? Um, now, understand that they're not... You can go to most any Christian church, and again, they're not going to be denying the divinity of Christ. They're not going to be denying the atoning work of Christ on the cross. They're not going to be denying the, 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 the role of God as creator. That's not what they do. They just don't mention it. They just don't mention it. We are to preach Christ and the cross of Christ. We're to preach the cross of Christ. This is what we are to teach and preach. Oh, it is, it is foolishness to the world who doesn't want Christ, but it is to be our message. Be warned, false teachers don't point to the cross. That's not what they point to. They point to all kinds of other things. Now, let me just, let me just go through a few as I've thought about it, because I want you to be warned about what books you're reading, about what podcasts you're listening to, about what church you're attending, about what ministry you are admiring. Be careful what it is that you are applauding. Some of these things that they can look like, and I hope I don't offend anybody here, but this is what it looks like. It looks like maybe the social gospel. 
that says what we got to do is we got to improve people's society. We got to improve the situation that they're in. That's what Christianity is about. No, it's not. It's about the cross of Christ. Or it may be the prosperity gospel that says if you follow Christ, he'll bless you and he'll give you cars and motorcycles and boats and, and toys and all kinds of things if you just follow Christ. No, that is not the gospel. It'll be the liberation gospel. This is the idea that Christ has come to, to liberate man from all of his struggles, from the, from the struggle of poverty, from the struggle of, of slavery, from the struggle of this, from the struggle of that. No, it is Christ's cross that we preach. It'll, it, it can look like all kinds of, of these sort of extra gospels. So it's the, the and this also gospel. So we've got to believe on Jesus and be baptized. Believe on Jesus and go to this church. Believe on Jesus and maybe celebrate communion. Believe on Jesus and do this. No, that's false teaching. It's a false prophet. And if you look at their life, if you can get close enough, I'll tell you what you always find. Scripture reward, it, it reveals greed and sex. It's what the false teacher is seeking. He's seeking to line his own pockets with dollars. And he's seeking to feed his lust. We must be warned. Jesus says, in verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. I will say I don't think verse 19 is speaking of hell. I don't think he's speaking of hell here. I think he's speaking of an a, a individual. I mean, understand Jesus is right there probably very close to a vineyard. There's probably old branches that have been cut down laying there in a pile. What do you do with them? You burn them up. They're worthless. They're worthless. That's what this is. They're worthless. Let me tell you, the man that I spoke of earlier that drove around and told people about Jesus, what he did didn't burn. It was refined as gold and silver. He was a true prophet. His life revealed it. And now he stands before Jesus. And I believe Jesus is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. But these false teachers, it just burns up. It just burns up. Now don't get me wrong. If they're not putting their trust in Christ, that is a Christless eternity in hell. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about what they're doing. It just burns up. My grandmother was a follower of Jesus. And near the end of her life, she um, started to struggle with dementia and, and all, or Alzheimer's type disease. You, you, know, you know it well. And, and right before we were able to step in, my family, not me, I was just a child, but right before my family was able to step in and, and kind of take control from things in her life, um, they found her checkbook. And she had written countless checks, $15, $20, $25 to PTL, Jim Baker. Remember that name? And she just, here she was living on nothing, nothing. And she'd watch this false teacher on television tell her, 
to send in this check and I'll pray for you right now. You put your hands on the television and you'll be healed. Let's notice where it goes. Verse 21. The fruit of false teaching is false followers. This is why it's such a nightmare. This is why it is, so, it is to be feared. Beware. The fruit of false teachers are false followers. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I mean, that's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing. Didn't we cast out demons? That's a good thing. It's a good thing, I guess, to cast out demons. And didn't we do mighty works in your name? I mean, that's, that's a positive thing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with mighty works or casting out demons or, or prophesying. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is not the fruit. It is not the fruit. Oh, it's a fruit, and we can get excited about it, and, and, I, and I would love to see some of those things happen, but it's not the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, faith, self-control. These things are the fruit of the Spirit. This is what we look for. But the fruit of false teaching is false followers. And notice the self-promotion here, the pride. Look at what I've done. Look at how I've earned your favor. Oh, look at me, God. Look at me. I'm convinced this is speaking of what's called the great white throne in Revelation chapter 19, the great white throne judgment where every single unsaved person who's been now in the ground for more than a thousand years and suddenly their bodies will be resurrected and they will breathe again and they will stand in a resurrected body and they will be ushered now before the Lord Jesus in all of his splendor. Oh, he'll look like a lamb that had been slain, but he will also be the lion of Judah. And they will come before him, and Revelation says the books will be opened. I don't know what these books are, but they are convicting. And they reveal to the person their own sin. They reveal to the person their own lie. They reveal to the person who they really are. And their names are not found in the Lamb's book of life. And so Jesus looks at them and says, depart from me, I never knew you. This is why false teachers are our greatest nightmare. Because behind them are masses of people who are believing their false message, be it social, be it prosperity, be it the grace and something else. They're believing what this person is trumpeting. And so rather than saved, they are lost. And they don't even know it. They're deceived. This is a scary passage. It's one that is heavy on my heart for us. 
for 21st century American church. Because we all know we could get on the radio, we could get on the the internet, watch the television, we can go to different places of, of worship and find this in mass. And if we aren't careful, Centerpoint Bible Church, it can find its way here. So what do we do? I don't care who the teacher is. I don't care if his name has the word pastor in front of it or not. I don't care if his name happens to be Lowell, because there's only about one of us running around Berkeley County, okay? I don't care who he or she is. I expect us to be following through with God's word. And you're listening always. The Bereans, Acts chapter 17, they would check to see what was being taught to them. Did it align with God's word? Oh, we can trust our leaders, yes, at some level. But remember, the greatest Christian you can think of is capable of the worst sin you can ever imagine. Do not put your trust in any man or woman. No, apart from the Lord Jesus. We can speak now of how Calvin Grove did great things for Christ, but he's dead and with Jesus now. So I'll say those things. But we don't elevate any person above what they should be. We respect our leaders. We follow their leadership. But we also are discerning. And we take what is told to us from God's word and we match it to God's word and we make sure that it aligns. I need you to do that. And you need you to do that. Because our message is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's that you and I were such desperate, lost, broken sinners that we could never do anything to earn any kind of favor with God. Our most righteous acts were like filthy rags. And God in all of his grace before the foundation of the world was, was laid, decided in his grace that he would come. The second person of the Trinity, fully God, became fully man and lived over 30 years of a perfect life, revealing that he was the spotless Lamb of God. And then willingly went to a cross and there took upon himself the sin of the world so that all who would look to him would look to Jesus and see him raised up that they would have life. He was placed in the tomb and laid there for three days revealing to all the world and to all the powers of the universe that he is dead. Three days later, his body breathed again, resurrected by the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus came out of the tomb alive, conquering sin, death, and hell, and Satan. So that all those who put their trust in Jesus and never be snatched from his hands, They're in the Father's hand because all this that the Father draws to himself, he will never, never cast away. So now we who are in Christ, we can't be condemned for our sins. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rather, we can know that we have eternal life by believing in the Son. This is our message. And we will preach nothing 
else. Be it from this pulpit, a focus room, in your yard, cubicle, or living room. This is what we preach. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, protect us from this one who wants to deceive, who wants to destroy, kill, steal. You said you have come that we might have life and life to the full. Now listen as we pray. We're all now looking to God, not to each other and not even to me. Is today the day that you need to put your trust in Jesus? Oh, maybe you've been walking the line. You've been standing here, sitting here, watching this. But today you're ready to put your trust in Christ. Today is a day of salvation. No decision is a decision. A delay is a decision. We must choose the road that we will travel, be it a narrow road or a broad road. Today is the day for you to choose. Will you put your trust in Christ? If you desire to make that decision, just pray to him in your heart. Just tell him, you know, you know that you're a sinner. You've got no problem admitting that. If you believe on what Jesus did, and because of what he did, you have life and are called a son or daughter of God. Father, we thank you for your grace and that you use broken creatures like us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.